As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, before we get to today's episode of the podcast, I wanted to say first, thank you for continuing to listen to the Total Soccer Show throughout the World Cup, even with the USMNT eliminated. We greatly appreciate people sticking with us. But we also understand if you want to check out other podcasts too, listen to this one first and then check out other ones. And one I'm going to point you to directly is the Football Ramble. It is a wonderful way to uh, get your soccer coverage, but some lighthearted fare as well, uh, or combined, I guess, together would be a better way to put that, uh, because you're getting daily coverage of this World Cup all the way through the end of the tournament, covering uh, the biggest teams, obviously focusing a lot on England. They're an English podcast. I'm guessing you're going to get some love for England and maybe some frustration with England, depending on how things play out. They started in 2007 at a kitchen table. They have grown from there. They now have their own independent empire, and they are one of football's most important independent voices. So join them every morning for a slightly more lighthearted look at the nonsense that is this World Cup. Search Football Ramble in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Soccer Show, an hour review of Friday's World Cup quarterfinal ties and a day of shocks, shootouts and utter chaos. Brazil were taught a lesson in Education City when they led in extra time. Their defending was pretty <laughs> Croatia progressed and they've sent Argentina a warning that they have the power to send an entire nation into mourning. And so the favourites will not be advancing. And if you ask Roy Keane, it's because of all that dancing. And yes, Argentina have kept their name in the pot after the Dutch took over 80 minutes for an on-target shot. This game had cards and chaos all over the shop, and the Dutch getting back in it with two big units up top. But it was over in the shootout as Louis van Gaal looked on sternly after switching things up to play like Burnley. So, the semis are set. Will the Albi Celeste make more games, or will they be shocked by Croatians with ice in their veins? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's probably had a better evening than Nathan Arke and many of the Dutch players, Ted Rocco. Hello. Hello, I have. I watched that game with my two dogs and my mom, who uh, stuck around to finish that one. I think she was planning to only watch the final five minutes, which turned into the final 35 minutes plus penalties. Uh, but that, that was enjoyable. And Ryan, you've done a very good job of uh, summarizing the entire day. I'm not sure we even need to do a show because I feel like your intro has really run through all the key parts of the day. 
And that concludes the show. Thank you very yep. much for joining mm-hmm. us, guys. Yep. Thank you, Taylor, for your contributions. Um, yeah, absolute chaos today. We're loving it. And I'll tell you another man who's loving it. Graham Rutherford, hello. Uh, a fully-fledged member of Team Chaos you are. Absolutely. I mean, this was the best. I don't know what other people or how other people feel, but this was the best day of the World Cup so far for me. My insides yes. hurt a little bit after that <laughs> uh, that Netherlands-Argentina game. Today we had one classic match that felt like this tournament kind of needed a classic match. I think I'd yeah. said that earlier, earlier in the World Cup. I think we got it today. And then another very entertaining match, or at least in the end it was entertaining. I think there were stretches of that game that weren't so ent- entertaining, but that had a big outcome Brilliant stuff. I'd kind of forgotten what the world was like before the World Cup these past two days. I actually went outside, not for long, because I'm not I'm not Bear Grylls, but nonetheless, it was wonderful. I enjoyed the two days off, but now the World Cup is back, and I very much enjoyed today. Graham, it's telling to me that I think I know which games you're referring to when when you drew that distinction, but both of like your description of both of them could kind of switch. So I don't know which one is the absolute classic in your mind because they both are pretty uh, meaningful in different ways. I guess. So Netherlands-Argentina was the classic for me. I think gotcha. that's the one that will will be remembered for years to come. Croatia-Brazil wasn't bad, and obviously you have the big upset in that game. That one was interesting. But yeah, Netherlands-Argentina was top billing. It was indeed. And I'll tell you what is top billing. Joe Lowry joining us today, a chief proponent of Brazil's 4-2-4 formation. Is that right, Joe? <laughs> uh, no, not anymore. I know when to get off a sinking ship right before it sinks fully. Uh, yeah, that was... Well, we'll talk all about that moment in the second half of extra time, was it, for Croatia to get them that that moment to get them on the scoreboard, to get them to penalties, which Croatia don't lose in penalties. Brazil evidently do. Guys, this, this day of soccer was crazy. I honestly still don't know what happened. I could not be more excited to dive into all of it. Yeah, it's it's been a very, very eventful day. The most eventful day of the World Cup, arguably, so far. We're just two games, but a lot of bonus soccer in those games. And, um, Graham, you are, uh, uh, like myself, someone who doesn't love the whole concept of extra time. Uh, folks like myself and you got a bit of a, a talking to by the World Cup today, didn't we? <laughs> so the Croatia-Brazil match, certainly the, the extra time period was the, was the best stretch of that whole match. Both goals coming in extra time, I think. Is that correct? A lot's happened today. I can't quite remember. Yes, both goals coming in extra time. And then even though the the Netherlands-Brazil or Netherlands-Argentina match didn't really explode in an extra time like the final 30 minutes of regulation time did, you still had, I I thought the second half of extra time was very entertaining. Felt like Argentina were kind of knocking on the door a little bit in in, in that stretch in Netherlands kind of hanging on. But yes, extra time was not the worst soccer today. I still generally subscribe to the idea that it is the worst soccer and we should get rid of it and go straight to penalties. Yeah, this, uh, let's call this day the exception that proves the rule. Why don't we do that? that Indeed. That keeps us both happy. Uh, before we get to those games, just a quick note on our Patreon. Thank you very much to everyone who has been supporting us through our Patreon at patreon.com slash totalsoccershow. In the last few days, you've seen a small child predicting games. You've seen Joe writing haikus. And you've seen Graham giving you an illustrious tour of his office space. All wonderful in their own ways, I find. Did you enjoy uh, little Ryan Bailey in there? He made an appearance. Did you watch that, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was gonna, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make the little Ryan Bailey joke. I was uh, planning to there, Graham. But uh... <laughs> moving on, <laughs> moving on swiftly. Why don't we start off with? Was, was it was it hard to see little Ryan Bailey? Ryan? Oh dear, oh dear. It's Taylor ne- went there. Mm, oh, PG show, PG show. I've got to carry on. Croatia won in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a bleep button, don't we? It's all that's good, true, right? That's true. Right, right. Okay. 
Okay. Let's get on with Croatia 1, Brazil 1. Croatia going through 4-2 on penalties. And as mentioned at the top, the tournament favourites are out. Neymar getting his eighth World Cup goal in this one, equaling Pelé's record as Brazil's all-time men's top scorer with 77 FIFA-registered goals because Pelé scored many in his backyard. He counts among his thousands, <laughs> lest we forget. Uh, we had uh, in the second half of extra time, um, Mr. Pekovic, the sub-striker, converting Croatia's first shot on target in this one as well. Joe, goodness me, where do we start with this game? So for me, we have to start with Croatia because ultimately they, they win this game and that's what people care about. And, and I think there's a lot of reason to talk about Croatia in this match. They come out and they go not toe-to-toe with Brazil in terms of their styles. They weren't trying to match Brazil in the same way that Argentina matched the Dutch. And we'll talk about that later. Croatia, though, they come out and press a little bit. They don't look scared. They don't ever really look like the game was out of reach for them. And it wasn't, partially because of all the veterans and all the quality they have in this team. But also for me, Zlako Dalic deserves some credit for how he set this team up. I mentioned they pressed a little bit. Croatia did a lot of things in this match to frustrate Brazil. Now, that can be true, and I'll, I'll go into that in a little bit more in just a second. It can also be true that I think Brazil were honestly the better team in this game. They, they maybe weren't the better team by a mile in the first half, but they are hard done by by a big moment that everything unravels for them basically in the second half of extra time. Their quality shined through on that Neymar goal, but it wasn't enough, partially because Croatia had kept them at bay at least for the first half. And the way they did that, they're back in this sort of 4-4-1-1, like mid-block of sorts with the wide players, the wide midfielders doing so much defensive work in this match. They were everywhere, tracking back, especially on their right side, Croatia's right side, so it was Pasalic, tracking back to help his fullback against Vinicius Jr. And Vinicius Jr. didn't really have a ton of say in how this game went. Ultimately, he comes off in the 64th minute, which I think is a sign that he wasn't incredibly productive. Croatia defended very, very well. They didn't give up much space. Eventually, Brazil kind of start to find their groove, but by taking 45-plus minutes off the clock with a really good defensive game plan from the start, Croatia really did give themselves a leg up. So you had Juranovic, who's the, the fullback for Celtic on that side, that Graham, he is quick. Holy yeah. cow. I did not realize how rapid he was. Graham, you probably already knew that, given that he plays for Celtic, but it was Juranovic and, and Pasalic, who I thought did a brilliant job, along with Brozovic shifting over to that side. And Brazil really couldn't find much joy early on, and Croatia deserve a ton of credit for that. Yeah, I mean, Juranovic played, just to highlight him for a second, because I feel like this is my maybe my specialist subject from this game, he played a, an absolute blinder, particularly in that first half. And he was hugely important to Croatia um, in terms of he the wing that Brazil funneled a lot of their attack and play down was the left side through Vinicius Jr. And Juranovic was just all over him, as, as Joe kind of referenced there. There was a moment towards the end of the first half where Brazil counter-pressed and Juranovic was caught a bit high up the pitch through no fault of his own. The ball was turned over without his involvement. And Vinicius has the ball and he has space to run into. And you thought, here we go. And then Juranovic just kind of overtook him. Um, and that maybe that was one of the moments, Joe, you're talking about yeah. a realisation of how quick he is. And more than that, he overtakes him, he shrugs him off the ball, and then he takes it up the other end. And in the end, Vinicius, he comes off after, after an hour having contributed nothing, essentially. And I thought that was largely down to Juranovic and, and the way he completely shut him down. I've seen Juranovic play a lot of good games for Celtic. I, I rate him very highly. I think this was the best I've ever seen him play. And it was timely for Croatia, obviously, being such a big game for him. Uh, for them, he was also an effective outlet on the attacking side. Um, he's been very good at this World Cup. This wasn't an isolated case. I read that he hasn't lost a single attempted challenge at this World Cup, which is kind of kind of remarkable given that 
Croatia, the way they play, they do kind of invite some pressure on top of themselves, or at least they are quite vulnerable to, to players uh, teams getting in behind. But he was excellent in this match. I don't think he will be at Celtic for much longer. Uh, Taylor, there's lots to uh, admire about the Croatia team, like their midfield, uh, the, the midfield Kovacic, um, Modric and Brozovic had some pretty impressive stats in the first half at the least. Um, why don't we talk about the goalkeeper though a little bit more, yeah. Livakovic, who was an absolute superstar in this one, like he was in the Japan game as well. Yeah, I mean, he's he's similar to what I said with Matt Turner with the U.S. He's a goalkeeper who doesn't make mistakes, to my mind. You, you don't have those sort of drops in traffic. He doesn't have those hardened mouth moments where you're not sure if he's going to come down with it or keep it. In the end, he just makes really big plays. I saw a tweet from uh, Lutz van Steel, the St. Louis sporting director, uh, but a former goalkeeper talking about how he does a really good job of sort of staying vertical, staying high and not going to ground, not sliding in. So he's able to react very late while still closing down the angle. And he makes big plays throughout this game by doing just that. And then in the shootout, to make the, to make the one save, he doesn't make the three he made last time, but he makes the one, uh, Brazil obviously missing two there. But that first one he saves, it is almost the exact same spot as the first Japan penalty. And I don't know if that was in any way connected or however it would be connected, but it was just interesting to me that it's the lead penalty. He dives the same way. He makes the same save. And then another little moment that I really enjoyed, I think I messaged you all about this one, is after Marquinhos misses his penalty, it comes off the post. Uh, Livakovic is laying down, I think celebrating. He gets up because he knows his teammates are rushing. And from the view that I saw, it looks like he spots that Marquinhos is still on the ground and the entire Croatia team is about to be celebrating with this kind of prone player who is miserable. And Livakovic runs, I think, 20 yards outside the box and then stops and then everybody celebrates. And and I feel like that was a deliberate, let's get out of here and let Brazil kind of mourn the way they need to. So even there, he's got that sort of awareness. He never switches off. And I think that was really representative of this entire Croatia team, that they might bend, they don't break, they never fully switch off. They never really let the occasion get to them. And And you can see that in the way they take their penalties. You said they had ice in their veins. I don't disagree. Watching these again, it's pretty clear to me that they just picked their spot before they walked up to take the penalty, knew where they were going to hit it, and hit it exactly to that spot every single time. A great round of penalties and a very, very fascinating game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lovakovic, sorry, Ryan, just a, a quick start. He made 11 saves in this game, which was the most by any goalkeeper in a World Cup match since Tim Howard in 2014. So there's wow. two ways to read, to, to read that. He had an excellent game, but Brazil um, had opportunities to see this game off before it, certainly before it reaches the, the shootout. Yeah, Graham, I think that's, that is the thing. I, want, I don't want it to sound like I'm taking anything away from Croatia because I'm genuinely not. I thought they played the exact game they needed to play that we've seen them play to advance to the next round. But like the moment you were talking about the Juranovic getting back and, uh, and tracking back and handling Vinny Jr., that sort of felt representative of the whole game for me. And Joe, I hear you that there were times when Brazil looked like Brazil and looked like they could just pass their way through like whenever they wanted to, and yet they never really did. And it felt like they kept sort of having this mentality of like, we're Brazil, we're going to find a way through, we're going to make it happen. And they've been so strong in this tournament that I can understand why they would think that. But it, it did have, to me, all the hallmarks of a team that felt like, we got this in the bag, we just got to play our game, eventually we'll find a way through. And then they didn't. And then they did. And they get that goal. And the way they celebrate, it sort of feels like they thought it was golden goal or something. And how yeah. wide open they were for that Croatia equalizer is shameful. I think if Chichi were another coach, we'd be asking a lot of questions about him. 
I think we should be asking a lot of questions about just the way Brazil chose to approach those final few minutes of extra time, because that was yeah. pretty shocking defense. Well, well, let's get into that, Joe. We we had, uh, as Taylor mentioned, uh, Croatia getting their equalizer in extra time. Uh, not long after, well, actually, uh, um, a few minutes before that, Fred was brought on to kind of lock it down, to kind of batten down the hatches, right? The idea would be, if you make, is the, is the logic there, bringing on a player like Fred, that you kind of bring a bit more fortitude to the defensive midfield or lack thereof at that point. And evidently, Joe, they decided not to bunker down at all and got caught on the break because that's what Croatia do. Yeah, and that's also what Brazil do, right? Brazil are not a team that's likely to really drop back into this super deep block and defend. Now, they, they did defend more after they get the lead. They're not as aggressive Fred comes on, and that is the right assumption, Ryan. He's coming on to add an extra body to the central midfield. I, I don't really put, maybe I should put more, but I don't really put a lot of blame on Fred a blame on Fred for Croatia's goal. So he is caught up field, yes, but he is pressuring the ball. He's already broken forward. I believe he's already helped it be deflected once to, to pin Croatia back further. And then he's really tracking down the ball, and it's Lovren who clears it up field. The, the place I put blame on for this goal, just tactically and thinking about you know who should be doing what, is I believe it's Rodrigo and it's Neymar, who are the, the two attackers. They should know that Fred is forward. They should know that Casemiro is isolated, and they should track back. But instead, both of them just kind of watch the play unfold as, as both teams are fighting for the second and then the third and maybe even then the fourth ball, and, and they don't move until it's far too late, until Croatia are breaking down the other end. The other person that I think should know better, and I, I really do think he should know better here, is Casemiro, who has one, maybe even two hands on Luka Modric to potentially bring him down before Croatia can break. He's going to take a card, yes, but I think in this moment you have to. He grabs Modric. He doesn't actually yank hard enough to bring him down. I know it's a cynical foul. I know it, it kind of disrupts the flow of the game, but there's a reason why Pep Guardiola comes into Man City and, and becomes kind of known for all these tactical fouls. It's because it's the smart thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Brazil just sort of out, outfoxed, outgamed a little bit in that moment. Tactically, I have no issue with them pushing forward whatsoever. We can't come on the show and say Brazil shouldn't push forward after we come on the, on the show and say the U.S. should push forward against Iran. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. You have to believe one thing or the other. I believe that Brazil were, were doing fine managing this game, but this play was like a, 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 a st- domino effect of errors for them from the attackers to Casemiro. And then it just ends with like a lucky deflection, right? I mean, that's how, how cruel soccer can be. Brazil were the better team in this game. It takes three mistakes compounded in on one single play, plus a deflection off of Marquinhos for Croatia to break through. They never really looked all that dangerous in the attack in this game. Still, they got the ball in the back of the net, and ultimately in soccer, that's the stuff that counts. Joe, just to be clear, are you saying Casemiro should have taken a red for that? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, whatever it takes to bring Modric down, right? I mean, why... In that moment, you, he's, he's almost trying to foul Modric in that moment. Mm-hmm. He has two hands. I went back and watched it as I was talking yeah. there. He doesn't bring him down. I think you got to do whatever it takes, don't you? I don't know, because he's already on a yellow. So if you do that, you're getting your second yellow, you're getting sent off. And I can see a reality in his mind where it's very unlikely, at least he thinks, that they're going to be able to get there and score. And then in some ways, he's taken that second yellow. Now he's got himself suspended. And maybe that wasn't as essential. Yeah, but, I agree but with now you that Brazil, maybe you've got to make Now that Brazil sacrifice. are out, and Casemiro, it doesn't matter if he's on a yellow or a red. So, I, I, yeah, I think, it's, I think you made the wrong call. But I that's just my it, view. It's Taylor saying it's more of a last man thing to do that, right? Yeah, I th- well, I think if anything, I would also argue like you shouldn't have put yourselves in that situation. Like I, I agree with you, Joe. I think Fred goes chasing. 
you would assume that he would have been given that instruction of don't go high pressing. You're a central midfielder. We need you there to clog the middle. But if he does do that, if that is a thing that he's allowed to do, then to your point, you've got to have other people filling in there. And I think Casemiro is sort of thinking, I don't want to take this. I don't want to get a red card if I don't have to. And there's other people around. Someone will help me. And so I can understand why he wouldn't do that. Uh, I do love Casemiro, so maybe that's also my bias. But I think it's a it's a really difficult situation, and maybe he should have taken it, maybe he shouldn't have. But ultimately, I think he's put in a difficult position that easily could have been avoided if Brazil had a bit more tactical discipline. Yeah, and sorry, one more one more beat on that. Casemiro, as the veteran, and he is the veteran player in this midfield and even the attacking line. Taylor, I agree, he should have had more help, and that's why I think there should be some blame on Rodrigo and some blame on Neymar. But at the same time, he should know, like, hey, that's that's Neymar up there. He's not going to help at all in this moment, right? I mean, that's that's Casemiro's job is to marshal those moments. And it is like a bang-bang play. There's so many things that go into that calculation. He makes a choice. It doesn't work out. It takes three more things to go wrong for, for ultimately to come back and, and for us to even be talking about Casemiro in this moment. It's a tough call. But yeah, a lot of things going wrong. Really, really unfortunate for Brazil. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, a little bit more about Brazil, that shootout, and then we'll get on to the modern chaos classic of (laughs) Netherlands-Argentina. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, Graham, um, I think you tweeted something to the effect of Luka Modric is one of the most legendary midfielders of all time. And, you know, obviously has a tremendous performance in this World Cup, back-to-back semifinals now, dominated on the domestic scene with his golden ball, etc. and so on. One thing I noticed that Brazil were doing to get past this three-man midfield was by the end of the game... They were hoofing it to Pedro to try and bypass the midfield, it seemed to me. And it's yet another case at this World Cup of classic Wimbledon tactics, there's the mention, coming in, like big, hoofing it up to the, long, to the big man, which yeah. we've seen in both games today as well. Yeah, so I think we'll talk Even Brazil a little bit are doing more. it, Graham. Even Brazil are at it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like watching Brazil, as the old saying goes. But I think we'll talk a little bit more about the big lads in, in the other game, which they maybe had a, an even greater influence on that match, or certainly had a greater influence on that match. But I think that that Brazil even considered that, and that's the, the way that they went in this match, is a compliment to that Croatian midfield, which is absolutely incredible. And, and, and the advantage that that unit gives them in every match that they play, no matter the opposition, I mean... Really, at this point, I know they're, they're out of the tournament, but looking at the World Cup as a whole, Spain are maybe the only team you would look at that could go up against that Croatian midfield and really beat them at their own game. I, I would fancy Croatia, that Croatian midfield against anyone left in this World Cup. And Luka Modric, for me, was the best player on the pitch. Um, we knew that Croatia would pose a, a different threat to Brazil. They would have a lot of the ball. 
but my word, he, he was on just a completely different level to, to anyone else. He had the most touches, he completed the most passes, he was everywhere, and he exposed that imbalance in the Brazil midfield that we spoke about before this match, and we'd mentioned a couple times before this match and throughout the tournament. We knew that was going to be their weakness. And in terms of, just to switch the discussion slightly, to look at Brazil's failures or failure in this match and in this World Cup in general, I'm not entirely sure how to assess it because they did look strong in this tournament. And I think, I mean, the inquest in Brazil is going to be absolutely brutal. There's not going to be much nuance. I saw Chichi is is already gone as the manager. This feels like the end of a cycle for them. But I think my assessment at this moment is that they came up against an opponent that was built to aggravate their weaknesses. And in that sense, they got a little bit unlucky. And if Brazil had come up against another team, even a a higher caliber team, I would have fancied their chances more against this Croatian team. We said it before the match, this this was going to be a different test. This was going to be something that Brazil hadn't faced at this World Cup before. And they failed that test, ultimately, because of that midfield unit. So I'm not sure how to assess Brazil at at this moment at this World Cup. I am kind of gutted we're not going to get that Brazil-Argentina quarter or semi-final even. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of gutted that we never saw Brazil against... Look, they've been knocked out by Croatia, so they didn't earn this opportunity. But I'm kind of gutted we never saw them against a France or a Spain or an England or one of kind of the, the, the true kind of high caliber teams in this tournament. It felt like they came up against a team that, as I say, just exposed their weaknesses in that, in that, in the center of the pitch. Yeah. They've broken everyone's brackets tonight, Graham, basically, is what Brazil have done. Uh, Joe. Are we glossing over any of the positives of Brazil's performance? We, I don't think we've even really mentioned Neymar yet, who had yeah. some individual brilliance on the goal. Yeah, that goal is absurd. I mean, this is this is what you get, though, when you lose games, is, is the individual moments of brilliance don't get talked about because there's other stuff to talk about. But I will spend a minute on that goal for Neymar because it was unreal. Like, this this to me was almost a career-defining goal from Neymar, or or it, it was up until they let the goal in. Yep. It's the 105th <laughs> plus one minute, 106 minute. It's stoppage time for the first half of extra time. Brazil are in possession in the final third, like they have been for pretty much all of extra time up to that point. Neymar gets the ball. He's dropped a little bit deeper. Neymar to Rodrigo. Rodrigo to Neymar. Neymar to Paqueta. Paqueta to Neymar, who bodies Sosa off. Really, it's a good bit of balance and strength from Neymar to then get enough momentum to hit the ball as he's sort of falling away almost from goal, right? He's, his momentum isn't carrying him towards goal at the very least. And he scores, and it's 1-0. It feels like this game is done. It's not done for all the reasons that we've talked about already. What a moment, though, for Neymar, who hadn't really mm-hmm. been great up to this point. I think the same thing goes for Vinicius Jr. We've talked about that, some of the reasons why Brazil looked a bit static at times in this match, but this was so close to being the game winner. It was the go-ahead goal, but it was not the game winner, and that is why soccer can be such a cruel yeah. sport. Dude, no lie. And I know like, I'm not breaking new ground here because I know how many people have had to rewrite match reports when the score changes at the very last minute. But so many of my notes after that goal are praising Brazil and praising uh, decisions Chichi made uh, to bring on Anthony, who we didn't see last game. We see him this time. And I felt like he brought energy that he could carry the ball forward to alleviate some of the pressure and tr- sort of bypass some of what Croatia was doing. But he takes people on. He draws fouls. He's instigating. He's taking Croatia out a of the game a little bit. Well, Taylor. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course, a brilliant dive. But, I mean, that that's to be expected. He didn't do the spin. That's my only knock against him. But I thought, in my, my notes, I had it as, like, that was a difference-making substitution. I had a lot of notes about Eder Militao, who I thought played an exceptional game. I thought he was immense in defense. But the way he carries the ball uh, out of the back uh, to alleviate pressure, the way he can distribute, the way he can get involved in the attack, and really look like a competent attacker who is also a very good center back. There were many Brazilian performers in this game that I think, if this finishes 1-0, we're still 
still talking about how good they look, how strong they are. That's the weird thing. That's where I agree with Graham. It's really hard to properly evaluate this team because we didn't, at least in my mind, we haven't really seen the writing on the wall. It hasn't been a like, yeah, they've really struggled to convert or they've struggled to create chances or they haven't looked like a unified unit. They've looked like the opposite of that. They looked incredibly unified. All the dancing, all the celebrating. Uh, The only thing I'll say is that we had questions about how do you play a game with only Casemiro as your your central midfielder. Paquetza's there. He's more advanced. We saw um, uh, who's the who's there right back today. I'm drawing a blank. Danilo, For Brazil, no. it was Danilo. Yeah. It was Militao on the Thank right you. and Danilo on the left. Yeah. I always get I always get those oh, yeah. all the different Brazilian fullbacks mixed up. But yeah, Danilo moving centrally again. We saw that on occasion, and he was I think meant to help support Casemiro. But ultimately, it ends up being in that final sequence, three defenders back and Casemiro, and then that leaves six in the attack. And that was the thing that we had been concerned about from the jump. And here we are with it coming home to kind of bite Brazil in this moment. But aside from that. It felt like a good enough Brazil performance. Yeah. Uh, it's just that Croatia found a way and never gave up and then looked much more competent in the penalties. And and that is kind of a common theme for today is that football is so weird and knockout yeah. football in particular is absolutely brutal. To flip it, to look at the Croatian side of things, Croatia would have been knocked out of this World Cup a week ago had Romel Lukaku taken one of his 20 <laughs> chances <laughs> in this match for Belgium. And now Croatia are in, this, are in the semi-finals after beating the, the tournament favourites um, in, in a match that really, if we look at the expected goals and the flow of this match, maybe they didn't yep. deserve to win. Mm. So football is, football is just so weird. And my only solid conclusion is that the, the cats did this. The cats did this. As soon as I <laughs> yeah. saw that cat being yeah. thrown off that table at the Brazil press conference, done. I knew they would lose this. Cats are vindic- vindictive little things. That cat found Pogba's witch doctor. We all saw that Netflix series. There's some sort of mm. curse put on Brazil after that. Yeah. Wait, Graham, I'm sorry. I missed this whole story. Oh, boy. Okay. Taylor. So there was a co- press conference, I think, yesterday, was it, Graham? Yeah, um, I think where so. Where Brazil- a member of the Brazil staff, there was a cat that crept onto the uh, press conference table. He picked it up by its scruffs and threw it. And th- Yeah, like properly threw it off like the he table. he hugged that sucker. Yeah. yeah. Was- uh-huh. it, the, and what we saw in this game today was cat karma. Oh, <laughs> also, also, maybe I'm being too like nerdy with this, but uh, there's I believe it, the reason why I think there's a passage in the Quran when like Muhammad cuts his his coat rather than disturb a sleeping cat that has fallen asleep on it. And that's why uh, like like Turkey, for example, has street cats everywhere that everyone takes care of because the Quran talks about taking care of cats. So mm. in Qatar to throw a cat is not a good idea. Go. Yeah. And now I'm wondering if maybe it really was karma that came back to bite Brazil. Well, well, yeah. I, I, I bet they're feline pretty bad about that. Now. Boo. Oh, oh, yeah. boo. Oh, boo. Thank you very so, much. Oh, my. Thank you. But like, oh, no. Croatia. That, that, that might get you karma. England are losing tomorrow because of that. <laughs> I, There's your I hated karma. that I hope so you're happy. much. I'm sorry. Oh. That, was a, that was a poor performance from me. <laughs> no, I'm no. still going. I'm still going. Um, Graham, <laughs> Croatia, just one quick note on them um, before we move on to the next game. They just can't be put down. I think. Yeah. I, I would like to describe them as. <laughs> is that more that, cat that, that cannot have been intentional, yeah. was it? <laughs> oh, that was a that was a dark one. If it was, but it wasn't intended. But uh, like, I, I, I'll take. I'll give you a different animal analogy. I think they're the cockroaches of world soccer. I think if there was a nuclear strike at the stadium is that, today, is that a compliment? <laughs> no, it kind of is because if there was a nuclear strike at that stadium, Luka Modric would still be running around afterwards. Uh-huh. They just can't be yeah. killed. I mean, I mean to be serious about it for a moment. Their, their, their sustained overachievement is like quite incredible. So this is a country that's only thirty-one years old. They have a population of just four million people, 
and they've just reached their third World Cup semi-final four years after the final. And the entire population of Croatia would only be the third highest populated city in Brazil, I read, which kind of puts into, into context. I know these things, you know, they don't always, they're not always relevant. But nonetheless, it's stark to, to see that sort of comparison. And they are kind of a complete anom- anomaly in that their infrastructure, I did some reading on this, both during this game and also I've, I've read about it before, but their, their infrastructure doesn't seem to be all that good. They don't have a particularly strong domestic league. I was reading that there is some inherited investment from the old communist regime, but I'm not really sure how relevant that is now, kind of like 30 years on from that moment. So it's a little bit like Uruguay. They're the, they're the European Uruguay. They're just a serious football country. And while I don't think this team is the most exhilarating as a neutral, and as a neutral, I am kind of disappointed Brazil are out of this World Cup. Mm. But you have to respect how they continually overachieve. Like, this is not a fluke. They do this all the time, Croatia. Ryan, to extend your analogy, like, you could go nuclear bomb, you could go hurricane. A hurricane hits the stadium, it clears everything out, and when it finally settles... Croatia are standing there like, so we go into penalties or what's going on? Like, no one's moved. Everyone's fine. They've kept the ball. They're okay. Yeah, they do seem pretty impervious to anything that's thrown at them. Uh, this Argentina game, though, is going to be wild. It's going to be wild, and I am excited for it. Speaking of the devil's tater, let's move on to Netherlands 2, Argentina 2, with Argentina going through by... Ryan, Ryan very popular in Croatia and Argentina after this episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How many penalties was it? Was it four three in the end to Argentina? I think it was. I've lost count. Who knows? Who knows? I do. Argent- Taylor knows. Argent- yeah, I was going to say Taylor knows. The headline here is: We finally got our utter chaos match of this World yeah. Cup. We were due oh. one, and we got it. Molina and Messi uh, made it two nil for Argentina, and it looked like a very easy win. Um, it looked like a procession going up to sort of the 80th minute or so. And then chaos started. We had a brawl. We had a couple of Dutch goals. We had an unbelievable session of extra time, particularly the second half of that extra time. And then a shootout. Whew, where do we start with this one? Joe, why don't we maybe talk about the formations that the team set up with? Argentina in a back five, it seemed to be. And, and the Argentines, was it, it was a back three, wasn't it? Um, but Argentina, with that back five, it seemed certainly in the first half that Messi wasn't getting much action when when they straight out of the four three three. Yeah, so let me do the all the tactical nerdy stuff so that Taylor and Graham can talk about how ridiculously bonkers this game was. <laughs> Graham is just charging up right now to talk yellow cards, to talk benches being cleared, to talk brawls. So I'll get this stuff out of the way, then you guys can dig into that. Joe, I'm yeah. excited to do tactics too. This this is okay, one cool. of the few times I have I have like a page and a half of notes on tactics. Let's good, do it. Good, 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 good. Okay, first. so Argent, Argentina coming into this game, they'd been in a back four for the most part, right? That was the shape, the, the back line shape that they'd sort of gone with under Scaloni. And in this game, they change. And Louis van Gaal, earlier in this tournament, I talked about how he didn't think or, or, or how teams weren't changing, basically, against the, the Netherlands. So the U.S. come in, and they're on a 16 game, and they're in their 4-3-3 shape. There are no major positional changes that Baralter tossed out there. Scaloni did change things. He added an extra center back into the back line. Di Maria is not involved, and, and he's had some injury issues in this tournament. But it basically is a 3-5-2. And lo and behold, that's what the Dutch are playing as well. So Scaloni kind of sort of matches what, what Louis van Hall does. It's not like a one-for-one one in every area of the field, but it is a one-for-one one in midfield. And that is where I think the Dutch tried to exert control is with their central midfield three. Now, they did change up the, the personnel in that space slightly, but basically it was the same look that they tossed out against the U.S. minus a couple of different little tweaks here and there. The, the, the Argentina team goes to three central midfielders as well. So it's Enzo Fernandez, it's McAllister, it's DePaul. And so you have man-marking on both sides. Argentina's man-marking the Dutch, the Dutch are man-marking the Argentinians. And really the X factor for me, Ryan, you mentioned his name, 
it was Messi for Argentina and it was Memphis Depay for the Netherlands, who were both playing as part of a front two, almost doing like the exact same thing. Both managers had almost canceled out the midfields. And so then it was a matter of, okay, who's, whose star attacker is going to do more star attacker things in this game? And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that it's going to be Messi over, over Memphis Depay. As good as Depay is, Messi was Messi in this match. And he wasn't getting on the ball all the time because the Dutch were tracking him and Frankie de Jong was marking him and Nathan Ake was marking him. And it wasn't easy for him to find space, but he did enough. He did just enough in this match. And then he has that assist, which is just this absurd... I cannot fathom how he plays this pass. He doesn't like to pass that way while shifting in in that direction. He just doesn't do it, but it's Messi, and he did it in this moment. It's 1-0 after the 35th. It's Molina with the finish, Messi with this absurd through ball that I cannot figure out for the life of me how he plays. Messi found a pocket of space. In a few moments in this game, he found a pocket of space. He gets it to be 1-0. He gets it to be 2-0. Scaloni basically took Louis van Hall's gamble and said, okay, we're all in too. Dutch, if you're all in, if you're going to say, all right, let's get this game down to individual matchups, Argentina said, okay, we're going to do the exact same thing. It just so happens that when your team has Leo Messi, it's a lot easier to get 2-0 up than it is when your team doesn't have Leo Messi. True. I agree with everything Joe said. Uh, the, the thing that I think is interesting is I saw a lot of people being very frustrated by Argentina in that first half. And I get why you would feel that way if you expected them to be the, the ball-dominant team, the team that was attacking and taking it to the Dutch, and then the Dutch were playing on the counter. I think this was one of those examples where Argentina also were okay with not having as much of the ball and were really content to frustrate the Dutch and try to force them into making a mistake. And as I said, I agree with Joe's entire breakdown. I felt like they sat on Darun and De Jong. They didn't let the Dutch play through the middle so then the Dutch started to play wide but a thing I noticed there was like let's say it goes from Jurian Timber the right center back to uh, Denzel Dumfries on the, like the right touch line the, the Dutch would stay very spread in possession which theoretically works if you're able to move the ball quickly and if your oppos- if your opponent doesn't crowd but Argentina kept numbers all on like one half of the pitch and really tight so you couldn't pass through there but you also didn't have time to ping that long one over the top And so it felt like it got into 1v1 battles. And eventually, to me, it felt like the Dutch started playing much more direct. Memphis, a big part of that, dropping and turning and trying to play forward. And that is where the goal comes from. Uh, it's, It's Argentina countering. The Dutch win the ball back and counter that counter. And then Memphis tries to play a vertical ball that's cut out. And then Argentina counter the counter that was being countered, which gets very confusing. But that's where that that sort of play starts. And then Daly Blint has to make a mistake. Now he's out of position. Now he has to try to get back. And it's a little bit of scrambling defense from the Dutch, which even there, it doesn't seem like it's going to develop to be that much until Lionel Messi does Lionel Messi things. He does the little sort of pump fake stutter step on Nathan Ake to create that little bit of separation with his next touch to then play that reverse ball through. I think he splits six players, at least five Dutch players. And watching it from that one angle behind the goal, he it's the Harry Kane thing. He doesn't pick his head up that whole time. He knows where the run is. Credit to Molina for continuing that run. And Messi just knows what that spot is going to be. He knows how to open up a defense. The thing that that moment, like, the thing that stood out to me in that moment was just how in control of things Messi is, how much he's able to evaluate things. He's not sort of trying something and not knowing what the end product is going to be. It feels like he's doing that stutter step to know exactly where he wants to take his next touch with the idea that it will open up this spot. And if it doesn't, then he'll take it here. But it seems like he's able to compute all these things so quickly and 
in this case, without even looking, and threads that needle, finds that ball in. And then I think it's really important to credit Moreno for the run still, but that first touch that carries him the momentum forward into the box, and then a great finish under pressure. He gets tackled from Virgil van Dijk. He gets a, a collision with Nuppert, but he still puts it in. It's an incredible goal from start to finish, and, and I think very interesting along the way as well. Yeah, there's an angle from the tactical cam above the pitch. And, and so mm-hmm. sometimes when you yeah. see an incredible pass, they show it from above and you go, ah, okay, there, there's, there's the lane. You, you see this from above. And even when you look at it from straight down on the tactical cam, there's no angle for that pass. Only a robot would even attempt that pass. So it's, it's one of the best. I think we had a discussion about this not so long ago about the best assists or the best yeah, passes for goals. Um, this has to be somewhere near the top of that list. I can't really remember what we settled on the best yeah. assist ever. Was there a Modric assist? I seem to remember for Real Madrid in the That's Champions what sparked League. The conversation, yeah, was the Modric yeah. outside so I think the that foot? Was, I think, yeah, yeah, that might wow. have been my best ever. But nonetheless, this, this is this is incredible. And just generally talking about Messi, this is the most comfortable I have ever seen him at a World Cup. Obviously, he's been he's played in a final before, 2014. But even in that tournament, it felt like he was kind of weighed down by the expectation. I don't think the system really... Well, there wasn't much system really in 2014. And you could argue he's still the difference maker in this team. But it, it doesn't really feel like it is all on him to do absolutely everything. And you just see him at the end and he's leading kind of the, the, the dancing, you know, the dancing from Argentina today, not from Brazil. Roy Keane will be happy about that. But he, it just feels like he's having fun and it doesn't feel like, obviously there's expectation on him, but he's not playing like it in this World Cup. So I am excited to see if it's starting to feel like the inevitable outcome of this World Cup is Messi getting yeah. the trophy that has evaded him his, his whole career. That's kind of the narrative that's starting to build. And his performance in this match just kind of added to that. Agreed. And you want your 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 big name player to, to be there in those big moments, to play that ball in for the assist, to take the penalty that gives them the 2-0 lead, and to take that first penalty and convert it. And the way he stands there and celebrates in front of the Argentine fans, I thought was, you know, it's what you do. You, you pick up your fans, you kind of get them motivated, you get that momentum going since the Dutch missed their first. But it is also not lost on me, and this is me connecting dots that maybe he didn't connect himself, but Neymar does not take a penalty in their shootout. He doesn't take the first one, the second one, the third one. He, I'm assuming, was ready to take the fifth one, but doesn't end up getting to take one. And so we have Brazil being eliminated with their star player scoring a goal, but not taking a penalty in that shootout versus Argentina leaving it close, but still advancing with Messi getting a goal and assist and scoring that first penalty and being that sort of person to pick that crowd up. It, it it's a very big day, I'm going to assume, for Argentina and a very, very salt-in-the-wound moment for Brazil, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, Taylor, you mentioned earlier that it was people were frustrated watching Argentina in this game. I felt for the first half, I was definitely, at least for the first half, maybe for every minute up until the last seven or so of regular mm-hmm. time, I was frustrated with the Netherlands here. This was a yeah. must-win game in which they had no shots on target until the very end. They had one shot off target. It just felt like they, was, they weren't moving the ball very quick. Yep. It's like they should have been trying to chase an equalizer. They weren't pushing hard enough, and they didn't really push until they went two down. It, it felt, I felt really frustrated with them. 
Yeah, and I think that's fair. I, I tweeted that there was uh, some consternation about the, them playing in a back three uh, in the Netherlands, that they've always played that 4-3-3. It's what Ajax play. It's what the Dutch have played since the 70s. Virgil van Dijk spoke publicly about how he preferred a back four but was okay with a back three, and it's worked for them so far. It's worked for them in their last, what, like 18 games or whatever it is that they haven't lost. But in this game, I think you see the drawbacks and the limitations, that you only have those two sort of pivot midfielders with one ahead of them. But if you mark those two out of the game, you don't really have a lot of places to go. You can play to those wing backs, but then if you suffocate them on the sides, there's not a whole lot of way to play. I think they grow into it a little bit. Around the 30th minute is when I noted uh, a K starts to carry that ball forward just a bit more. But even there, they're so risk averse, they don't want to leave themselves open. And I think there's a little bit of a fear of Lionel Messi and a fear of just how good Argentina are overall. That even when he does go for it, it's still very safe. It's very slow. It's then a lateral pass or a, a short yard pass, and then he drops back a little bit. So even there, it sort of defeats the purpose. So I think... Usually, in my mind, when you when you have a team that's going with a back three, they're going to sit deeper, and then they're going to break really quickly in very specific ways, in very specific patterns, or through a very specific player. And here, when the Netherlands did try to break, it felt much slower, and it felt much more like, eh, let's just hoof it long and see what happens. And in the end, that works when you put three seven-foot-tall guys up top. Then I guess you can go that way, and you can get some goals. But I, I do think we saw sort of the end of their like tactical flexibility even though louis van hall will i'm sure credit himself for making those changes at the end maybe greg berhalter just smiling a teeny tiny bit that louis van hall got out tactic in this one there was a point in the second half where basically the question for the dutch was how much can we ask frankie de jong to do before (laughs) it becomes irresponsible in the middle of the pitch uh it didn't really feel like there was much of an approach and to be honest and this is another um, thing that just adds to the sense today of football is very stupid. The changes that Van Hal makes, and we spoke about this before we started recording or, or in our uh, Slack channel anyway, I'm not really sure it's about much more than just getting the big men on and that kind of gave them a, a foothold in the match. I know the equaliser comes from this incredible little pass through the wall and, and, and finish from, from Veghorst, but the Dutch before kind of those changes were made they simply weren't getting that high up the pitch in the first place to win those free kicks and there was actually a couple free kicks after they made those changes that they won on the edge of the box um, and they had Veghorst and Luke de Jong to hit with crosses and, and, and balls forward and it wasn't very Dutch and it certainly wasn't very total football but it worked getting the, the Dutch back into the game and, and yeah as I say football is football is very stupid because the paradox of those last 10 minutes was if that doesn't work then people are looking at those changes as an example of how Van Gaal run, has run out of ideas and he doesn't have anything and he's just throwing the big men on. And Argentina probably should have saw out that game and that should have been the, lo- the logical outcome. But as I say, it worked and football is stupid. It is, yeah. it, it is funny. Yeah. Is, isn't it, Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong, I've read Michael Cox's book, uh, Zona Marking, and I, th- I think in that book he talks about how Louis Van Gaal and Cruyff are sort of like these two Dutch coaches with very different ideas right they hate like each other Cruyff, or they hate yeah, each yeah. other Cruyff yeah. is the guy who wants to go out there and play total football and Van Hall is the guy who's you know going to be much more conservative and we see that playing out in the field right in front of us as we watch the Netherlands at the World Cup I do think it's hilarious that total football and part of the idea there is that players can interchange positions right so your your left back could go and become your your right winger in a moment after you go and press or reorganize or whatever it is your center back could go forward your striker could drop back I do think it's funny that Virgil van Dijk, as a center back, goes and plays striker for a long period of time <laughs> in this game. It's very much not at all what Johan Cruyff had in mind with total football. And total football is much more philosophically than just moving players around. But 
I do think it's it's Van Hall's twisted sort of his own very unique version of total football in that moment. Are Argentina like the shortest team at this tournament? Because I noticed Van Dyke was at least a foot <laughs> and a half taller than every opponent. It seemed. Yeah, when he was up. Licha there. Martinez as a center back. That has long been the question about him. I think he's five seven. Him as a yeah. center back is he going to be winning much in the air? He gets fully bodied for the equalizer <laughs> from Vegforce. So yeah, I think maybe that was a slight size disparity mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it was an interesting thing for me though with those changes that Van Hall makes. Brings on the big men, they get the two goals, we go to extra time, and so often the story is the one team who are up make a ton of defensive changes. They bring off the, their big attackers, their key attackers, they bring on defenders, and then the other team equalizes. And now the question is, well, what do you do now? You've taken off all your attackers, are you just going to defend for 30 minutes and hope for penalties? This was a rare one for me, in that I, I feel like part of the reason why there wasn't more going on in overtime. Some of it was just the gamesmanship and the back and forth and a lot of the fouling. But also, I think Louis Van Hall, after regulation, thought, I don't know how to make this into a formation that makes sense (laughs) because... Yeah, there was the celebration at the full time and then the realization of, oh, I have to make a coherent team out of this hodgepodge. Yeah, Wutvegorst or Luke de Jong has to be a right winger. And I don't know which (laughs) of those I want it to be. Like, So I think there was a bit more of a conservative approach in extra time because he makes those changes and then you can't really pivot away from that one, but you can't stick with just hoofing it long for Van Dyke and two big men. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that explains a good amount of uh, of extra time going the way it did. Yeah. So the average height of, just to go back to the height of the two teams, the average height of the two lineups in extra time was the Netherlands six foot two and Argentina five foot nine. So go. that kind of tells you a yeah. lot about the, the, the approach up I until then. I thought that might be the case. Uh, we need to take a break, but before we do that and get into the chaos of this game, uh, truly dig into the wonderful, wonderful chaos, can we just spend a second, Taylor, on that equaliser, that free kick, the set piece, to have the stones to do that? In the dying yeah. minutes of a World Cup, absolutely incredible. I'm full. Of, I'm in awe. So I am too. And there's a lot of things I love about it. Starting with the fact that earlier in the game, I think Argentina had a free kick that they put over. As I said, I was watching with my mom, and she said, "Like, do do they ever score these? I feel like I've never seen anybody score that." And I was like, "Yeah, every now and then. It's a really amazing one." But I think we've talked about it. There's only been made two of those in this World Cup. Maybe only the one with Marcus Rashford. Uh, I think it was Rashford who hit that one. And so I was remembering that as as the Dutch line up, and and I was fully expecting like, maybe Gakpo hits this on frame, and it's this amazing moment, and it really is him cementing his legacy. But it felt for all the world like he's going to smash this into the wall, and it's going to go out for a corner. He's going to put it over. And so for them to go with that design set piece was incredible. And then, Ryan, I'll throw it back to you for part of it because I didn't know this part. But I saw many people pointing out that a very, very, very similar play was run against England by Argentina in the 98 World Cup. A very similar sequence that leads to a goal for Argentina. Uh, And so I thought for a moment, like, maybe Louis van Gaal is that clever that he watched that game and was like, I'll use Argentina's tactics against them. But it seems to me, based on the video you shared, Ryan, that maybe Wutweghorst is to credit for this one. Yeah, I'm I'm very familiar, by the way, with I'd feel for the Netherlands because uh, drawing with Argentina 2-2 and going out on penalties is something I'm quite familiar with from oh, yeah? that uh, from that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but there, there was there's a clip going around of Vekos being a part of this kind of design free kick uh, with Wolfsburg against Bielefeld uh, from a few years ago. So it's something that's uh, it's been in the locker for a little while, should we but say? It, but that to me either means somebody saw that and said like, "Hey, that worked. Let's do it," or more likely to me is that he said, "Hey, I've got this play that has worked in the past," and I'm sure they practiced it. I doubt this was the first time they tried it. 
But it's crazy to me that you put him on there and then he runs this design piece that works so perfectly. Yeah. It might be the best set piece goal I've seen in a World Cup, including that Argentina one, because even that one... No disrespect, Ryan, but that is England just being like, oh, should we mark? Nah, we don't need to mark yeah. that guy. Oh, that didn't work out so well. Uh, yeah, let me just keep rubbing some salt on those wounds. Beckham finished <laughs> that game, though, right? That worked out well for him. Uh, so I, I think this one, though, the way it works out and just the timing of it was probably the best the- set-piece goal I've seen at a World Cup. Maybe not the most emotional, because uh, John Brooks scoring is probably that one, but this one was pretty great. The the persuasion skills on Veghorst, if, if it was his <laughs> idea... You've got a free kick on the edge of the box, what was 110th minute at, at the end of stoppage time in the match. World Cup quarterfinal, you need a goal. And he's going up to his teammates and going, OK, a couple years ago I scored this, <laughs> this free kick goal for Wolfsburg and you have to pass it through the wall and I have to take a touch inside the box and then turn and then finish. Yeah. And they all go, yeah, OK, let's do that. Like yeah. He must have, yeah, as I say, persuasion skills on him. Lads, I've got this, I've got this. <laughs> Trust me, i got this thing from Wolfsburg. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get a little bit more into the chaos and we'll get our VSPs for the next set of games. Back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Oh, this game had everything. Let's still stick with the uh, Netherlands-Argentina game. We had brawls, several brawls. We had 17 total yellow cards in this one. Walter Samuel, the Argentina coach, got a red, uh, got a yellow card for being terrifying looking, I think was the reason. It seemed to be <laughs> anyway. But... um it, Graham, I, I've never I actually, seen anybody. Sorry, right? I've never seen anybody drink water that angrily in my life. <laughs> that was that was a new one for me. It's like, oh, he drinks mad. Okay, then. It's a, a World Cup record for yellow cards, and not a single red in sight in this one as well. So this is either masterful control from the referee, or he had uh-huh. zero control whatsoever. I think it was probably the latter in this one, Graham. <laughs> but uh, w- what did you make of this? Was it a particularly dirty game? Did you think? Um. Not especially. I mean, there was there was needle to it, of course, and we saw that at the end. There's a picture going around. I didn't see this at, at, in real time because the cameras, I think, are maybe showing Martinez or the, or the crowd or something. But as Argentina are running towards Martinez to celebrate with him, they all turn, particularly Nicolas Otamendi, they all turn to the Dutch team and basically celebrate in their face. And there's a picture that just while we've been recording, I'm not entirely sure at what point it happens, but there's a picture of Messi standing in front of the Dutch bench with Van Hal very visible and he's standing there with, with his hands behind his ears. So there was a lot of needle in this game. Mm. I think Mathieu Lahoz, who is the, the, the referee, who was the referee for this match, he contributed to that because it felt like he was just the worst possible pick for this match. <laughs> it was already quite dis- disjointed. It already had the potential to have that needle. It didn't need him stopping it for every little tiny thing. And he, the Matthew Laws thing is he is desperate to be the main, the main character in whichever match he referees. And that was certainly the case here. I think it was 17 yellow cards by the end, which was nearly as many uh, shot as shots there was over 120 minutes. And one of my favourite things about this match was just before the final penalty, I actually have completely forgotten who takes the final penalty. Taylor, is it? It was Latara Martinez. Derek Zoolander. Of course, it's Latara Martinez, of course, because there's a little bit of redemption there from he's not been very good at this World Cup. But nonetheless, my favourite moment is Matty Lahoz hurriedly getting one last booking in before that penalty kick is taken. I have no idea what it was for. I think that brought it up to 17. But yeah, what a performance by uh, by Mr. Lahoz. I got to say... Like, I've heard you all say he is an official that wants to make it about himself. And the way I have always understood that, probably erroneously, is that he makes calls that maybe he doesn't need to make so that he is the center of attention. He is the talking point. Uh, like, he calls a foul that shouldn't have been or he gives a penalty when it should have been. I now understand that what that actually means is that he wants to, the camera to be on him. He is waiting for his close-up. And so there were multiple moments in this game where it really, really bothered me. Not because, oh, he's making it about himself or whatever, but because it felt like he was actively not controlling the game and waiting for there to be more of a scrum, more of a fracas to then get involved and for it then to be him. And there's that one yep. where he's just walking around as That's everyone's shoving, whistling over and over again. 
to no effect. He's not doing anything. He's not mm. separating anybody. He's not pointing. He's just walking and blowing the whistle like a like a toddler. And and it just blew my mind how much he was very uh, front and center in so many things. How often he was talking back to the players. He's having some jokes with different people. And it it felt like he was sort of making it about himself. He was letting things go that probably shouldn't have been. And and I think to some extent he he really is a negative in this game. It's a credit that the Dutch are able to make things happen. But so much of Argentina, it's part of the game. It's the dark arts. They're, they're so aggressively wasting time, so aggressively uh, like having these little fouls, slowing things down, complaining about everything. There's a moment when Paredes uh, shoves. It might even be the free kick that, that sets up the equalizer, uh, the final goal. Paredes shoves somebody in the back. I forget who draws it. Uh, and then falls a good two feet away from the ball. And when the camera cuts back, he is in the exact same position, except now the ball is underneath him. And just like, there's so many moments of Argentina doing things to disrupt and slow things down. And he didn't stop that. He facilitated that. If anything, I do not like him. I would happily not have him officiate another game. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be contrarian here as a neutral. I feel like all this just builds to the narrative, how ridiculous this game was. Like, would this game have been as ridiculous without the host? I, I kind of don't think so. I'm not saying he did a good job today because he did not. And that's very, very clear. More bookings than any game of World Cup history. He didn't really have control of the match. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was torture, pure torture. If you're a Dutch fan, you have so many reasons to gripe about this result. Messi should have been off. You can make that same, uh, that same really gripe about 12 other Argentinian players. Right. But as a neutral sitting in my chair in Phoenix, Arizona, like I got nothing. I got well, no I- complaints about this game. I agree, Joe, and it was glorious for that reason, but it bothered me his inconsistency as well. As you mentioned, Leo Messi with a very blatant Chiellini-style handball uh, earlier in the game uh, didn't get a yellow, but there was a yellow for that exact offence earlier in the game as well. And and Paredes, when he blasts the ball at 100 miles an hour from close range into the Dutch um, technical area, nothing. Right, oh, right. Messi, Messi has seen Chiellini <laughs> play volleyball in MLS. Messi yeah. seeming like he's going to MLS. He's got to practice his volleyball skills too. That's all it is. But it felt, it felt like Oz was also, maybe I'm, I'm being biased, but it felt like he was giving preferential treatment to Messi quite a lot. Of the 100%. Time. I felt like he was going to break out and give him a, a, like a shoulder massage at some point. It, it was getting a bit ridiculous. He, yeah, he, again. he was get, treating Messi with too much reverence, I think. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think that's maybe traced back to how obviously Lahoz is a La Liga referee and he probably feels like, oh, well, you know, Messi's my pal. And, you know, look at me. I'm best friends with the best player in the world or the best player of all time. Yeah, I, I totally believe that Messi got preferential yeah. treatment in that match. And even if it's not as extreme as like, oh, we're buddies. Like, I, I know officials at amateur level, but, you know, who who will sort of be like, ah, I know that guy. He's not like that. He didn't mean for that foul. Maybe that would be a red card if I didn't know him, but I'm going to give him a yellow and just be like, hey, remember. And it does feel like that's what he was doing there, that when Messi has that handball, Messi is immediately turning and yelling, and that to me is a distraction. But I think Lahaz is also sort of like, ah, I can't send off Messi for a second yellow for that. Uh, he's not that type of guy. Like, I could absolutely see that familiarity and that sort of past relationship coming to play here, which I'm not even saying it's a conspiracy. I'm not even necessarily saying Argentina were the beneficiaries of that because I think a lot of different people got a lot of different cards. I just did not love how much he seemed to be okay with the game 
falling apart and being that chaotic because it allowed him to be front and center as maybe conspiracy brained as that might sound, because it leads to that moment when the ball is rocketed into the bench and then things touch off. And even at full time, uh, some Dutch players go running over to pull people apart uh, before extra time begins. And I think because the, the, the ground had been watered pretty extensively at halftime, two Dutch players are sprinting over, they lose their footing and they slide into this mess of Argentinian players. <laughs> and then that kicks off further. And he, he is just sort of standing there watching, and it just felt like there wasn't much inclination at yeah. all to keep this about the game being played as opposed to, like, the story that I can build and the tales that I'll be able to tell 10 years from now. I'm more bothered if we don't get the four goals and the shootout. True. At the end of it, yeah. I think if we've got, we get the four goals, we get the shootout, and we get all the Matteo Lahaw's chaos. I, I feel like, yeah. okay, sign me up for that. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. But I, I, when a referee kind of just... It makes the match so disjointed that you don't get mm-hmm. any kind of attacking rhythm. And I still felt there was attacking rhythm in this game. So there's only so much I can be dis- disgruntled. Yeah, with. that's fair. I, it's it's a strange one for me in that I thought it was a really captivating game. I thought Argentina deserved to win in the end. It felt like at the end of extra time, the Dutch were just hanging on and hoping for penalties. Yeah. Uh, and I think Messi scoring his. I think Martinez being the one to score the winner for all the criticism he's had. And he's having to take painkilling injections, apparently, to be able to play at all. I think that's a great narrative. And it's a credit to Argentina. Commiserations to the Dutch. But Matthew Lahaz can do one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that assessment that Argentina deserved it, Taylor. And that, that, but that's, that second half extra time, it was quite end-to-end. It was thrilling. Di Maria attempting a limp, an Olympico casually as well in that second half extra time. That was great fun. But the shootout, as you say, a tale of Martinez's is, 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 with um, uh, the, the, the goalkeeper Martinez uh, not making any saves until the shootout and then making lots of saves in the shootout. And then Martinez, the one with the Derek Zoolander haircut, um, very much getting they all the have it. They all yeah. have it. I have this in my notes. I think Argentina brought the one barber who knows how to do the one fade. And I am not trying to criticize hairstyles. It's not about like there should be no blonde hair or whatever. But <laughs> all of their fades are this weird. I'm, I'm showing it because we're on video, but I, I will hopefully describe it. They all are like skin up to here. And then it's like a one inch fade. And then it's long on top. And mm. like eight of them have it. And I don't understand if that's a unity thing. If that's just one person got it and everybody was like, yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. But Argentina's haircuts leave something to be desired. I need I need some ble- bleach in there, Graham, so that they can look like you. Uh, I don't know if I need some like purple hair in there. We need we need something just to throw it up because uh, I was not a big fan of that today. Some Batistuta long mane. How about that? Yes, That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, sir. I'd be on board with that. Uh, one weird moment as well, just to finish on this one, Graham. I mean, you mentioned Messi cupping his ears and sort of taunting the bench a little bit. Did you see him and Edgar Davids having very stern words at the end of the game as well? Yes. Like an inch apart from one another's face. Like Edgar Davids, obviously legendary Dutchman. And he seemed like he took exception to whatever Messi was doing. And they were they were impolitely discussing it at close range, it seemed. Yeah, I mean, Messi was pumped up yeah. at this, at, at during this game. I've just put a, a clip into our... It's bouncing around Twitter as we're recording. Basically, Messi... I haven't actually watched the clip. I've only seen the quotes, but it seems like he takes exception to some sort of question or maybe a Dutch player walking past the press conference and he's basically shouted out, what are you looking at, fool? Um, so, yeah, Ooh. Messi is, is pumped up. That That is what uh, a fool arm sleeve tattoo will do yeah. to a man. I mean, that's risky, though. <laughs> Graham, you called him a robot earlier, Messi. Uh, we know Edgar Davids from earlier Nike commercials defeated an entire army of ninja robots with just the soccer ball. <laughs> Messi should be careful. We don't know how uh, that could play out. 
I'm sure if uh, David said that in the argument, Messi would say, I have a dog that's the size of three people, so don't come around mine. I will, uh, he'll mess you up. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to need to get to our VSPs. Before we do so, Joe, a quick note on the semi final. This one has set up Croatia versus Argentina. Um, how do you see Croatia um, grinding their way through and getting a late goal in this one? <laughs> yep, I think that's about it. It's. I think there's a good chance that happens. No. I think Argentina will likely have more of the ball. I would not be surprised if they go back to the back four. I think this was sort of a one-off. Not, not that it would be shocking to see them stick with the three center backs, but the tactical plan from Scaloni today was designed against the Netherlands. Right? It was designed for this game. So maybe we'll see a return to the back four. Messi's going to try to do messy things. I think Croatia will have the advantage in the midfield. I haven't been all that impressed by DePaul if he starts again. I think there's some weakness in that area. So... It's going to be a good game, Ryan. It's going to be scrappy. It's going to be feisty. I think Argentina are the better team. It's not a hot take. But, I mean, at this point, like, does that even matter? Right? Soccer is so... The best teams in soccer do not always win. We saw that today. Argentina were the better team. They did get the result. Whether they can ride that momentum into a semifinal win, I do not know. Indeed. Well, that semifinal, I believe, is taking place on Tuesday at 4 Eastern. One thing left to do in this here episode, it's VSPs. By the way, got my VSP for the Netherlands-Argentina game. I said that Gakpo would be dispossessed fewer than three times. One time, one time, one time for Gakpo there. Because um, oh, he hardly had the ball. Yeah, well, actually, there were very few dispossessions across the Netherlands. <laughs> I think Dumfries was the most dispossessed at twice, possibly. Uh, I'm, I'm not dated those stats, but Netherlands, yeah. That's probably a reason, Graham. Anyway, for the VSPs for tomorrow, we've got Morocco versus okay. Portugal, the early game on Saturday, and the big one for this guy, England versus France. All right, for Morocco versus Portugal, let's hear a VSP from... Turn it up. Are you done now? I'm not. I'm sorry. Okay. VSP, please, Graham. Portugal, Morocco. <laughs> uh, so my VSP for that game is that Bruno Fernandes will have more shots than any other Portuguese player. Um, as well as Fernandes played against Switzerland, he didn't actually have a single shot in this in, in that match. And Portugal had a lot of shots in a game they won 6-1, so that might seem slightly strange. But if we go back to the game, the game against Uruguay, which I think will be relatively similar in a sense that Portugal will play this match in front of the Morocco defence, Fernandez had six six shots and, and that was more than any Portugal player. So I think he's going to be the one to make something happen for Portugal, even if it's from distance. I think there will be some times when Portugal are a little bit frustrated and Fernandez will hit a, a pot shot and maybe it doesn't go in. But nonetheless, I think he's going to be the one trying to make something happen. OK, uh, by Graham. the way, Graham singing some French ditty there. Uh, well, I'll reveal that while we we're in New York, um, his mum texted him and asked him if he was supporting England during an England game because he's a closet England fan. He just doesn't want to admit it for <laughs> credential reasons on, on this podcast, Fight. right? Fight, I think my mum was winding me up fight. because she also asked me if I was supporting Wales at the World Cup. And they're like the two teams I don't want to do well at this World Cup. So I think that was a wind-up job. Graham, do you think Ronaldo starts this game? He shouldn't. I don't know. Uh, I don't think he will, no. You don't win a game 6-1 and then and then bring him back into the team, particularly when you read the reports that apparently he threatened to leave the camp or leave yeah. the squad and go home. <laughs> I don't know who persuaded him to not go home, but that person he should also go home with Ronaldo. Oh, no, don't um, go, <laughs> Exactly, yeah, Joe, Please, no. Joe putting up the... Yeah, oh, don't go, I think, uh, I think Surely he doesn't start. The very telling thing to me is that your answer when I said, will Ronaldo start, was... 
he he shouldn't, which means maybe, <laughs> and I don't think he should. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my my specific prediction is that Portugal will score off of a set piece, uh, either a free kick directly or a corner. But I think uh, we saw Spain not take chances, not really create any good goal scoring chances, and I think Portugal will, will have to be more ruthless and a bit more direct. And I think we've seen them capitalize on set pieces previously, so that will be something they prioritize in this one. So Portugal with a set piece goal. Thank you very much, Tater. Joe, your prediction for England versus France, Super Play. Can I do two? Can the TSS Council rule right now if I can do two? Yes or no? You get a half point for each. Uh, no. Or okay. If if you get you can't get two points. One. Can I get so one and a half? If you get both right, then you only get one point. Okay. If I get one right, you're still, still giving him a double hit there, Graham. Yeah, do I get two points? Okay, well, all right, Mr. I think a guy who doesn't have the ball will be just... Can, can mine be that, like, I don't think the Portugal goalkeeper will score? Can I, can I make right. that my prediction? Fine. Is that allowed? I will, I will just pick one, darn it. Um, I feel Joe, like that wasn't is, a shot at you. That was a shot at Ryan. No, no, I know, but I no, one gave me the answer I wanted. no one gave me the answer I wanted, so that's, that's where we're at. I'm going to give two, but I will just take the, the first one I'm about to read off. I think one coach tomorrow between Gareth Southgate and, and, uh, and Didier Deschamps is going to be out of a job. We've seen over and over again these coaches, especially ones that have been around for a while. Louis van Hall is done after today. Chiche is done after today. We've seen this happen a few different times. Luis Enrique is already done. I think we're going to get like a, in a press conference. We're going to hear about this literally tomorrow that one of those yeah, managers so that, is done. Go ahead, Graham. That that was the thing I was going to ask. What are the what's the time frame sure. we're putting on this? Because I think the Shams leaves either way. So you're saying tomorrow one of those yes, managers? Yes, I'm going to say tomorrow one of those managers will be done. We'll hear about okay. it very very soon after the match. My other one, which I, I will say won't count, but I'm going to make a big stink about it if I get it right, is that Mbappe will have at least one moment that makes us lose our minds tomorrow. Messi had his moment today. Neymar had his moment today, although it didn't end up mattering. Mbappe is like the third guy. Ronaldo's not that guy anymore. It's Mbappe. I think we're going to see something outrageous from him. I've seen, you know, the media in England has branded it as the Mbappe plan of how they're going to stop. You're not going to stop Mbappe. You're going to hope that you can do enough to get under his skin a little bit and to try to get something going the other way. But I think Mbappe is going to have at least one just utterly insane moment that kind of makes us all lose our minds. He's red card. Yeah, could be. And that might be it, Ryan. And that is the ideal scenario for you. And so yeah. for you and you alone, I hope it happens. His second minute red card. Sounds good to me, Joe. I like that a lot. Um, my VSP for this game is that England will have fewer than three shots outside the box. Uh, England have had 21 shots in this tournament for 12 goals. So they've got a pretty terrific conversion ratio there. Um, doubled the XG ratio, in fact. Only four of those shots have come from outside the box and one goal. So a far higher ratio from inside the box. It seems like this team tends to attack centrally and build towards the box. I don't think they're going to take many pop shots against France. So fewer than three shots from outside the box for England is mine. All right. That pretty much concludes today's podcast. Looking back on a couple of games of madness and surprises and shocks. Graham Ruthven, what a day. What a day indeed. Thank you very much, Ryan Bailey, for guiding us through that. I am away to put my head in a bucket of ice. Oh, likewise. <laughs> Graham, uh, already done you. Joe Lowry, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Today was crazy. It was indeed. And Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always, sir. Let's do this again tomorrow. The pleasure was mine. Let's do it. All right, and listener, let's do it again tomorrow as well. Why don't you show up on the feed tomorrow? We'll be here, but for now, bye!